Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Good afternoon, everybody. Well, welcome to week five in our series called Superman HD as we walk through the book of John. We are in chapter 1. I'm going to ask you if you would turn with me to verse 35 to 51. John chapter 1. Superman HD. Jesus, the redefinition of Superman. He's human and he's divine HD. And as you're turning, our title for today is Finding found by and following the escalator (laughs) finding sounds like a misprint right finding found by and following the escalator now not trying to be funny or clever with the titles fundamentally the rationale behind the titles is twofold one it's in order to provoke thought, hopefully, because, I mean, if you know, the Bible says we're supposed to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and what? And our mind. So one of the reasons for the titles is to cause us to think. The title for the book, but also these individual titles for our individual messages. That's the first thing. The second thing is, what we, what we try to do with the titles is we're trying to crystallize or capture the heart of the passage in a sentence and sometimes it's really really difficult to sometimes it's not easy sometimes sometimes the text makes it really easy sometimes it's not so easy but finding found by and following the escalator hopefully it will all make sense by the time we get to the end now by way of introduction <clears throat> How many of you are familiar with looking for an escalator in a shopping center? Especially a shopping center that you're not familiar with. I remember first time I went to, is it West, Westfields? Oh my goodness. Trying to find my way around that place is massive, right? Same thing happened to me at the Glades in Bromley when I first went. So hard to find them. because And all you want to do is move from one level to that. You just want to get upstairs. I had the privilege of traveling twice through Dubai Airport. I don't know if anyone ever been to Dubai, or at least in transit. Um, sometimes you fly through Dubai again to Africa, and I think it was when I went to Nigeria once, and when I went to India at the beginning of the year. Dubai Airport is amazing. It's like in order to get from one floor to another, they've got the regular lifts. I say regular lifts. They've got like about eight of them in a row. You know what I'm saying? And the lifts are completely transparent. So if you're like me and you're scared of heights, hey, it's like going up in the London Eye. I'm like, I tend to stand in the middle. I mean, when I went up on the London Eye, I sat right in the middle. You know, the bench is right in the middle. And everyone's like, come on, Robin, have a look. I was like, no, I'm good, right here. And you know what? I can say after I come off, I've been on the London Eye. Whether I saw anything from up there was another. F- but the thing about Dubai Airport is apart from the lifts, they have this amazing escalator system. And when you're on the escalators or on the lifts, you can see this. It's like you've got this massive wall as the backdrop 
and it's this amazing waterfall. It's just, it's just beautiful. And my point is, <laughs> escalators are really helpful. And again, fundamentally, what they do is they take you from one level to another. Is that fair enough? Okay. And like I mentioned the, the title, or maybe I'll just mention introductions, on the other hand, are hopefully something that helps us to get into the heart of the text. Hopefully, it's, a, it's an introduction, hopefully, that will help to explain. And now you're really probably confused as to where we're going this morning. So let's pray, innit? <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you because you are a great God. And Father, sometimes it's hard to understand you in your multiplicity. Thank you, Lord, that the church amazingly is, is like a diamond and you see it from different sides. And really, it's a representation of you, Lord, and um, the multifaceted wisdom of God. And, and Father, it's so hard for us to grasp. Yet you, you display that beauty and that glory and that wonder like a diamond. And how do you describe it? Well, I pray that, Father, apart from trying to describe it, you'd help us to understand it at least to some degree today with regards to this text in John chapter 1. Would you help us by your spirit, I pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. So let's read John chapter 1, verse 35 to 51. You're there, right? It says, the next day, reading from the ESV, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and, and saw where he was staying, for they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We've found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened 
and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. <clears throat> Thank God for his word. Last week, <clears throat> we talked extensively about bearing witness or bearing testimony with regards to John the Baptizer. Who clearly and coherently and convincingly pointed people to who? To Jesus. What I hope is that the sharing or the bearing of testimony will lead to conversion. And the type of conversion that will lead to discipleship. Now many of us present here today, we have um, different stories about the different ways that we were converted, right? We all have a testimony that is similar, but yet unique. Unique to times, places, and circumstances. But the one thing that all Christians have in common is that at some point, we all met Jesus. Today we will meet four different people who all meet Jesus. <clears throat> How did you come to meet Jesus? Question. Well, but since, since coming to meet him, if you have met him, are you following him? Well, the crowd that came in the previous section of our text, they found Jesus. But how many of you know, <laughs> they weren't really that committed to following him. There was another crowd that they were following, right? <clears throat> Well, what would be the response of this new group that we come across in our text this afternoon? And it says that as we're introduced to them, that on the following day, this is the day after this other group met with him. On the day after, or verse 35, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. So he evidently spent time with these disciples. And we heard previously last week that he said to them, the same thing he's going to say now again. That's why it says, and again. So he's standing there with, these are two guys, that are unnamed at the minute. And he looked at Jesus, it says, verse 36, as he walked by and he said, John the baptizer, behold, the Lamb of God. Again, this is the second time that Jesus is referenced in this fashion. We heard about, we heard it, this mentioned in verse 29 last week. The Lamb of God or the ultimate sin bearer the one capable and qualified to take upon himself the sins of the world John bears witness doesn't he he's doing it again he's bearing testimony now we won't spend much time on Jesus being the Lamb of God because we did that last week it's quite a substantial section but just as an addition as it as it relates to our text this afternoon the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he does so in order that individuals might be reconciled to God. There's a gap, there's a space, there's a breach between man and God because of sin. And what Jesus, the Lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice, what he does is he breaches the gap. He breaches the gap. Remember, God is in heaven and the world or men are down here on the earth and there's a chasm between the two 
And we need something that will bridge the gap that will get us from one floor to the next floor. Are you with me? There's a gap. And that gap is there fundamentally because of our sin. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 to 7 says, And you, speaking of those who have become Christians, but previous to, be, to, previous to becoming a Christian, this was the state. How many of you know no one's born a Christian, right? You're born again as a Christian. Verse 1, Ephesians 2 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And notice verse 6 in terms of what he's done. And raised us up with him and seated us with him where? In the heavenly places. How many of you know we never started there? Based on the text. But he gets us there, doesn't he? Because he's like the great escalator. Can you see how God bridged the vertical gap between us and God? Jesus bridges that same gap between us and God. So John points his two disciples in the direction of Jesus and look at what they do in verse 37. The two disciples heard him say this and they did what? Verse 37, what did they do in response? They followed Jesus. Now follow here is a double meaning. Follow means just to literally just follow, walk behind, right? But also it's, it's descriptive of following as a disciple. An individual who, who turns one, one's allegiance to another. Right? John the baptizer came to prepare the way. Going before. Now John will be overtaken. He's going to be overtaken by Jesus. And in his faithfulness, that is John the Baptist, we see the fruit of his ministry, don't we? John faithfully pointing others to Jesus, although not all of his disciples leave him to follow Jesus at this point, to do. Verse 38. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? (laughs) Jesus' question probably has a double meaning. Number one, it's it's a reasonable general question, right? Because... They're walking behind him. He's like, oh, can I, can I help you? It's a reasonable question, right? And then number two, he could be asking them on a deeper level, why, what, like, why are you here? Like, why are you following me? Why, like, what are you seeking? Like, on a deeper level than just something, it's like, it's, it's possibly a, a more searching inquiry, right? 
What are you seeking? What are you looking for? What are you really deeply, what do you essentially want? See, what, what, what would we say? What would, what would I say? What would you say if Jesus asked you that question? Like, like what, what do you want from me? What, what do you want? Like, like why, are you, why are you here? Like, even literally, today, why are you here? Saying you might say, "Well, a friend invited me." You you possibly could be visiting. Number two, like, why are you here on a deeper level? Like, what are you seeking? Really, knowing that you know that church is more than just a family affair. And I'm saying, in a general sense, like, what are you seeking on a deeper level? And just something to do on a Sunday morning slash afternoon. How would how would you respond to that question? Like, like what? Why are you here? Well, how did these two men respond? Verse thirty-eight, the second part of verse thirty-eight, thirty-eight B, and they said to him, Rabbi. That says something because it means teacher. That's that's partly why <laughs> we're following. They ask him, Where are you staying? It's a strange response, isn't it? What? Like, like why, why are you following me? Oh, where are you staying? <laughs> Bit creepy. It's like me coming up to you, a practical stranger, <clears throat> after the service and say, like, like, why are you here? Imagine. But for, it's funny, we do actually ask that question from time to time. Because I think it's, 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 it's important, isn't it? Because sometimes people actually attend church, attend a gathering or a congregation on a Sunday, they don't, they don't really know why fundamentally they're there. But I can see, you know, you probably say to me like, imagine if I said to you, why are you here? And you turn around and say to me, where do you live? <laughs> now, if you're a man, I'd be very interested, maybe even concerned that you might want to know where I live. I might want to know if you are someone from a past or I hear Jason. Where's Jason? Is he in here? I hear Jason say that all the time. He's got. A, he's a brother. Got to look over his shoulder because his past is very colourful. You know what I mean? You don't know who could be coming to look for him like 10, 15, 20 years later. Come back to settle an old score. Thank the Lord that he's your protector. <laughs> now, if 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 now imagine if it's a woman. Oh my gosh! I say to a lady, "Why are you here?" She says, "Where do you live?" So if you're a woman and you want to come round, I'd have to tell you up front, I'm a married man, you know. <laughs> Can you see that their answer suggests that they want more than something superficial? These disciples are looking for something substantial. Can you see that? They don't just want to ask a simple question or have a casual five-minute chat. They want more. What do you want? Why are you here? Verse 39, and then he says to them, you want to know? Well, come and see. Come and see. So they came. And they saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Notice, come, and then you will see. There is no seeing if there's no commitment to come. And how many of you know 2,000 years later, nothing has changed. It's, a, it's willingness to, to come to Jesus 
that leads to being to being able to see. Metaphorically speaking, spiritually speaking. So they, they spend the day, it says, with Jesus. They spend time with Jesus. Now the word, I, I emphasized it, right? Stay. The word stay is one that John uses repeatedly. And it's synonymous with dwelling or living with or abiding in. You see that in John chapter 15, right? We'll see that when we get there. Around about Christmas time, or just before Christmas. See, this word stay is more than just a casual catch-up. It's, in, it's indicative of intimate relationship. And this begins to describe the true nature of discipleship. It's up close and personal. Can't do this at a distance. Two things about the time, because what time does he say it is? Thank you, my sister. The tenth hour. Two things about that. Number one, it was probably about 4 p.m. There's, there's a dispute over whether it's counting from midnight, which would make it 10 a.m., or counting from 6 a.m., which would make it 4 p.m. But I think the, 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 the majority of commentators would agree that it's 6 to So it's about 4 p.m., and it makes sense to the text. <clears throat> because it seems like it was already quite late, and they probably end up spending the night. Probably got more than they anticipated. Number two about the time. The time was significant because John probably remembers this moment significantly. He probably remembers this moment with clarity. The moment he first met Jesus. I remember the first time I met Jesus in, in similar fashion 26 years ago. 26 years ago, wow. Quarter of a century ago. And yet it seems like it only happened yesterday. I remember with such, such clarity. And I'm sure that you probably um, have a similar testimony. Unless you were brought up in a Christian home, kind of been brought up as a child, as a Christian, sometimes it's hard to identify exactly when you were converted. And I'm saying, but for, for those of us who didn't grow up in the church and led an evident and obvious rebellious lifestyle, you know what I'm saying, we know when that change came about. And maybe that's one of the reasons why. John makes an, a specific note of this. <clears throat> Verse 40. It says, One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus. I want you to note just how many times this word comes up in the text. That's why it's in the title. Following Jesus. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus. He gives us his name. What's his name? Andrew. Thank you. And who's Andrew? He's Peter's brother. We don't know if he's his younger or his older or younger brother, but Andrew is Simon Peter's brother. Loudmouth Peter, right? So, one of John the Baptist's ex-disciples, right, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. John, who's the writer of the book, was, pro was possibly, probably the other unnamed of the two, which would be consistent with John's Lack of reference to himself, at least by name, in his book, right? So Andrew and John, they begin to follow Jesus. Finding, found by, and following Jesus. The escalator. Hopefully it will make sense in a minute. <clears throat> Speaking about Andrew, verse 41. He first found 
his own brother Simon and said to him, We found the Messiah! Which means what? Which means Christ. Which actually also means the anointed one. Andrew is one of the first disciples who found Jesus. And also one of the first to recognize him as who? As the Messiah or as the Christ, as the anointed one. Now we always think about Peter in regard to this, right? Because Jesus says in Matthew 16, he says, Who do men say that I am? And Peter pipes up as, as, as usual. And he says, he says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Matthew 16, 16. It's easy to remember. But he wasn't, Matthew, Peter wasn't the first person, at least of the disciples, to recognize that Jesus was the Christ. It's Andrew who makes that declaration first. You are the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. From the Old Testament, um, we see this practice of anointing priests and kings with oil that symbolizes the Holy Spirit, which pointed to this individual who would come and he would have the fulfillment of that anointing. That is the Holy Spirit. And we saw that last week at Jesus' baptism, didn't we? Listen to Isaiah 61. It's really helpful. It says the spirit of the Lord the spirit of the, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has what? Anointed me. Spirit and anoint are used interchangeably. The spirit is upon me like the anointing oil is upon me. We saw the Holy Spirit come upon Jesus. Who <clears throat> who do we hear quote these words in Luke chapter 4? In the synagogue, right at the beginning of his ministry. Jesus. <clears throat> the Messiah, or Christ, was also often referred to as the son of David. You remember who David was? He was the second king of Israel. So how many of you know that the sons of David then would also be called the kings of Israel, right? And it's funny because Matthew chapter 1, <clears throat> at the beginning, he says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, remember what Christ means, anointed one, I'm laboring it. It's just that some people think that Christ is Jesus' second name. It's not, it's a title, you know what I'm saying? It's a title. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus, the anointed one, the son of David, the, whoops, oh, the son of Abraham. Matthew goes back to Abraham, but then Luke goes all the way back to who? To Adam. He calls Jesus the son of Adam. So look how far back this anointed one was expected. The anticipation of someone who would be not just the son of Adam, but keep going forever down the line, get to David. Not just the son of, actually I should have backed up a minute. Son of Adam, keep on going a few generations, you come to the father of faith. Who is who? Abraham. And then you keep on going, then you come to David. And then you keep on going, and eventually you come to the Lord Jesus. So you can see how far back, right from the garden, there's this expectation of this son. Now that was his first coming. First coming of this 
anointed one, this Christ, right? And that was 2,000 years ago, but then we also anticipate another coming, don't we? His second coming. Can you see that the Bible is one big story? From Genesis to Revelation, the beginning of the story in Genesis started with man in relationship with God. And that relationship was broken within three chapters. And then by the end of the story, the book of Revelation, man is reconciled again to God. What does Jesus do? Jesus bridges the gap. He bridges the gap between God and sinful man. Can you see that? Again, Andrew <clears throat> is one of the first disciples who found Jesus and also one of the first to recognize Jesus as Messiah, as Christ. Look at what he does in verse 42. <clears throat> he says he found Simon, his brother. And what did he do? Verse 42. He brought him to Jesus. That is Simon Peter. Andrew brought his brother to Jesus. Last week we talked um, in community group about, well, last week we talked about witnessing and bearing testimony, right? And at community group we had mixed responses on the responsibilities of witnessing. I'm saying we had, um, we recognized that different people are different. Some said in, during community group that they were more comfortable preaching open air. Oh my gosh. I mean, hands up. It's always going to be a minority, right? Like some John the Baptist, you know what I'm saying, enabled individual who's happy to stand up and proclaim the gospel in public. Which is different from the pulpit. <clears throat> and we said then that some recoiled at the prospect of standing on a soapbox with Bible in hand, right? And felt much more comfortable one-on-one, -on -one, like one-to-one. -one. Remember um, back in the day, what was called one-to-one? T-Mobile. And T-Mobile don't even exist now because it's now... It's e, e, was it something before? It went T-Mobile. Did it go straight to EE e from T-Mobile? All right, it was Mercury first, isn't it? You remember them little... What was them little black phones with the bendy aerial? The Motorola, remember that? I remember Pastor E was the first person I knew personally who got one. I know... And, and, you, know, and you know who had the, their phone from back in them days? Right, because their number is 0956. <laughs> right, so, sorry, it's 07956. It used to be 0956. Anyone you know, they used to have that week. Remember that weekend deal? Oh my gosh, we could call anyone anytime. I heard that. I heard that one to one, they were Mercury, they were, they were paying people a thousand pounds to buy back that, that, um, that tariff, that whatever you call it. You remember them days? I digress. One-to-one. One. I was going to say something else about that. Huh? Bearing witness. Oh, we'll come back to that in a minute. One-to-one. Um, one. Yeah, one-to-one. One. It's about this. I, it, was a, it was a clever clever term, I suppose. You know what I mean? Described you having a conversation one-on-one -on -one with another person. Right? Now you can speak to ten different people on con conference call. Right? But back in them days, one-to-one. One. And... Some of us feel much more, much more um, comfortable in a one-to-one -one setting with one person. We're not, we're not good in, in, in the pub. One person, I'm happy. A whole, no, can't deal with that. Different people 
God made us differently, right? And here we see an example of one person sharing with one person. And a, and a family member at that. And what did Andrew do? He just told his brother that Jesus was the Messiah. And then he brought him to him. I think sometimes we can overcomplicate the sharing of the gospel. Because very often we, we think it depends on our cleverness and our you know, clever oratory and our ability to convince or not to say that we ought not to do that because the scripture encourages us to persuade men. You know what I mean? As ambassadors. Um, but it's, let's not lose the simplicity because fundamentally we're not the ones who save anyone. It's, 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 the, it's the gospel. Romans 1.16. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Amen. And, <clears throat> and who is this brother? It's Peter. Beautiful contrast, right? Peter, the great apostle, the over-referenced one, <laughs> who preached to thousands right, in Acts chapter 2 and so on. Beautiful reference, beautiful contrast between the two. And I mean, that's lovely. How many of you know we need Andrews as well as Peters? Peters are really important. But how many of you know without Andrew, there wouldn't be a Peter? Can I show you a real clip? Can I show you a clip? Real quick. <laughs> Getting ahead of myself. Have a look at this. We good fellas? Oh, before I play, before I play, actually. Oh, good. How important could it be you sharing the gospel just with one person? Never slight it. Never see it as something minimal. You know what I'm saying? And I think this video helps to illustrate that to some degree. Welcome back to the story of liberty. This is your host, John Bona. But what can one man do, one man? There's a story about one man who taught a few kids Sunday school class. What could he do? Well, listen what happened. His name was Edward Kimball. You probably never heard of him. One day he decided that one of the kids that he was teaching was not listening in class, so he decided to visit the young man who was working at a shoe store. Edward Kimball was a shy man and he would not even go into the shoe store at first but eventually he got up enough nerve and he went in and he spoke to the young man who was putting boxes of shoes on the shelves. Kimball didn't think he even led the young man to Christ. He tried but he left there feeling he was unsuccessful but he did lead him to Christ. The young man was Dwight Moody. You probably heard of him. He later became a famous evangelist and right at the time of the Civil War. His ministry started the Moody Bible Institute, the Moody Church. It was a great church that sent thousands of missionaries around the world. Dwight Moody made an enormous impact for the Kingdom of Christ worldwide. Later in England, he led a man named Meyer to Christ. And Meyer made a huge impact as he preached. Meyer led a man named Chapman, who in turn became a great evangelist and won thousands of people to Christ. When Chapman retired, he turned his ministry over to a baseball player. He influenced by the name of Billy Sunday. We have a story about Billy on our, our website. 
Billy Sunday really changed the face of America. He went to Charlotte, North Carolina and held a great evangelistic rally. Billy was credited with saying, you know, going to church does not make you a Christian any more than going in a garage makes you a car. A number of men were converted at this rally, at Billy's rally, and they formed an organization in 1932, and they had another rally in that same area in Charlotte. They invited a missionary by the name of Mordecai Ham. As Mordecai was preaching, a young man, about 16 years old, gave his life to Christ. His name was Billy Graham. And he's probably preached to more people than any other person in history, face to face. But literally millions and millions of people were converted to Christ around the world through the testimony, the witness of one Sunday school teacher, Edward Kimball. I'm sure this day shines as bright as a star in heaven. Friends, let's remember that God made us for a purpose, to be co-laborers with him in the redemption of mankind and to bring souls of men the gift of everlasting life. God made us and he purchased us with a great price. Amen. Isn't that a beautiful story? Um, We need Andrews as well as Peter's. And Andrew is going to appear two more times in this book. Um, again, very understated individual. He never wrote a book, did he? That turned to the book of Andrew. <laughs> in John chapter 6, at the feeding of the 5,000, he does it again. He, he's the one that brought the boy with the loaves and the fishes to Jesus. And in John chapter 12, we'll see um, these Greeks come inquiring of Philip. They want to see Jesus. And Philip's like... Andrew, these guys, they want to see Jesus. Guess what Andrew does? He takes them to Jesus. Continuing in verse 42. Jesus looked at him. And this is Peter, who Andrew has just brought to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. I don't know if it was a question. Oh, so it's you, the one I've been hearing about. You're Simon, the son of John. I don't know. But he goes on to say, well, he gives him a name change, doesn't he? He says, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And I'll show you where that word Peter is from Petros. It means a rock. This renaming of Peter by Jesus could be a prediction of Peter's foundational role in the establishing of the church. Jesus, how many of you know, is going to change Peter? Rocky. I mean, he feels like he's rocky already, right? But he's going to make him rocky in a, in, a, in a real sense, in a solid sense, in a, in a way that's going to contribute and practically bless and benefit the church. And this is, a, this is a promise of change for Peter in name and character. Verse 43. It says, the next day, a lot happens in 24 hours, right? The next day, could have put that in the title, 20, 24. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. But he wouldn't be 48 hours. The next day, Jesus, and he goes to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. 
John the Baptist found Jesus. We saw that last week. Then James and John find Jesus on the basis of the fact that John points him out, right? Saw that a moment ago. Now Jesus finds Philip. Finding, found by, and following Jesus. And all of this happens within the space of, 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 of three days in the text. And this seems to confirm um, that which was introduced earlier in the prologue, that is verse 1 to 18, the beginning of this book. This confirms what we saw there. Look at verse 12. If you have your Bible, you can just flick back to verse 12 of this same chapter. And if you don't have it, it's up on the screen. It says, He, that is Jesus, came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Saw that last week. But to all who did receive him, right? To all those who see and follow, or follow and then end up seeing, those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Verse 44 of our text. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip <laughs> found Nathanael and said to him, we'll come back to what he says to him. Notice, these men are all from the same vicinity, up north in Galilee. So it makes perfect sense that they're reaching out to one another, right? Who's the best person to reach out to your friends and your family? You and me. Oh, man, i got this story. I, I, I'm not going to tell it. I told it at a community group. <laughs> it was mind-blowing, the story that I'm not going to tell you. Last week, I went to a funeral. I thought it was going to be the gloomiest, most difficult. Pastor E mentioned the fact that we've had X amount of funerals. You know what I mean? I went to this funeral, and oh my goodness. Like what the Lord did, I've not seen in a while. <coughs> All I would say is, be encouraged to share your testimony. Be encouraged to share the God, especially with your friends and family. Uh, because you will be astounded. Very often you share the gospel and nothing will happen. Like visibly, evidently, immediately. But be encouraged because God's word never goes forth and returns void. It always will accomplish that for which it was sent. That mean. And that even means people not responding, which is harsh. Because Jesus, you know what I'm saying, he's a fragrance to life, but also to death. So that actually is a response. But you'd be encouraged at how sometimes the Lord will take your little and make it much. Oh my goodness. As you plant the seed, it's one of the beautiful things about planting a seed is seeing that break the soil and beginning to grow. And sometimes we get the privilege of seeing that happen spiritually. Be encouraged to, to share the gospel with your family. And you're thinking, what happened? Like I said, I'm not going to tell you. Now, have you noticed just how many times, again, this, this, this word found or find has come up in these few verses? Here we see the principle of discipleship. It's disciples who make disciples who make disciples. 
who then go on to make disciples. We are only here as disciples because someone previously helped us to become disciples and someone previous to that helped them to become a disciple. And if you keep going back, you get to Andrew, Philip, Peter, and we're going to see in a moment Nathaniel. Nathaniel. Now we're here. Verse 45, right? Who is this Nathaniel, brother? Well, He's probably, probably also known as who? If I asked you to name the 12 disciples, would you be able to do it? Ish. It's like the Ten Commandments, isn't it? I can get a few of them, but it's possible that this Nathaniel is probably the same disciple that's known as Bartholomew. Now, how many of you know Bartholomew is not a name? Because Bar means son of. So he's son of Tholomew or son of Ptolemaeus, right? But his real name is Nathaniel. Possibly. A bit like Barnabas back in, in Acts 4. Because his name wasn't Barnabas, right? What was his name? What was Barnabas' name? Right, son of encouragement, which is kind of what Barnabas kind of kind of means in a way. But um it, it was it was his name, his name was Joseph. That was his name. But he was the son of Nabas. So <clears throat> It says, verse 45, Philip found Nathaniel, maybe Bartholomew, right? And said to him, we have, here we go again, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now we've heard, we've heard loads of terms about Jesus that reference him as being God, as being supernatural, as being the chosen one, the specific person that was expected throughout human history. But then we have these references to Jesus the man. Because remember, it's, it's Superman HD. It's Superman, that is Jesus, human as well as divine. And we hear some terms. So it's Jesus of Nazareth, right? He's a man. He comes from a certain place and... He's the son, quote-unquote, of Joseph, right? He's the stepson of Joseph. And it's funny because he mentions before that Jesus is the one who's been referenced with regards to Moses in the law. He's the one that Moses spoke about and the prophets wrote about. And we, won't, we, 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 we never hesitate to mention this verse because this verse helps us to see that the Bible is one big story. And it's Luke 24. Um, <clears throat> Speaking, Jesus speaking about himself, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets, and he goes on to say, and the Psalms, must be fulfilled. Here, it references Moses and the law and the prophets, right? And you know what? We're going to see two more before we finish. Two more allusions to the Old Testament. Oh my gosh. Um, <clears throat> verse 46. Nathanael said to him, Jesus of who? Jesus of where? Nazareth. The son of Job is, is like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Hating on Nazareth, you know. Now, Nathaniel is, is skeptical, but how many of you know he's honest? <laughs> My man speaks his mind right. And it's funny because people down south often don't like people from up north. Right? So Judea is in the south and Galilee, which is where these guys are, are from, is up in the north. Right? Nathaniel is probably from a place called Cana, which we'll see next week, in Galilee. But not only do people from south have, have drama with people from north, you've got people from north who've got drama with people from north. 
right? You've got the, you've got the south, the north-south divide, but you've also got local divides, haven't you? Have, ha- haven't we? <laughs> the truth is that the whole world is like Nazareth. You'd be like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I'm like, fam, can anything good come from out of anywhere in this world, really? And the thing is, the beautiful thing is, Jesus doesn't even come from Nazareth. He grew up in Nazareth. Where did he come from? Bethlehem is where he was born, but where's he come from? He came from heaven to earth to show the way. See, I've been inspired by Pastor Ian on this whole singing thing. Hey. See, Jesus didn't come from anywhere messed up. <laughs> Philip said to him, Yeah, but Nat, can anything good come out of Nazareth? What does he say? He says, you know what? I ain't going to try and convince you. I ain't going to try and argue with you. What does he say? He says, come and see. Philip doesn't try to argue. And, and that would be my invitation to anyone that's seeking. Anyone that's seeking truth. See, many cynics in the past have, have been humbled and proven wrong. As they have examined the evidence for what may have seemed like, quote-unquote, foolish claims about Christ. You ever heard of Simon Greenleaf? Simon Greenleaf, oh, I should have done that, but I didn't. 1783 to 1853 was one of the founders, notice, uh, listen to his credentials, one of the founders, he didn't just attend, one of the founders of Harvard Law School. He authored the authoritative three-volume text, The Treatise on the Law of Evidence, 1842. And I heard all the solicitors and all the barristers in here, and I'm saying, say, huh. And, and this treatise is still considered the greatest single authority on evidence in the entire literature of legal procedure. Greenleaf literally wrote the rules of evidence for the U.S. legal system. Hey! He was certainly a man who knew how to weigh the facts. He was an atheist until he accepted a challenge by his students to investigate the case for Christ's resurrection. After personally collecting and examining the evidence based on rules of evidence that he helped establish, Greenleaf became a Christian and wrote the classic Testimony of the Evangelists. Listen to this quote from Simon. I wanted to put up his picture first and then the words, but I had the words and the picture on the same slide, so... Listen to what he says. He says, let the gospel's testimony be sifted. As it were, given in a court of justice on the side of the adverse party, the witness being subjected to a rigorous cross-examination. The result, it is confidently believed, will be an undoubting conviction of their integrity, ability, and truth. Simon Greenleaf. How about Sir Lionel Luckhoo? I mean, I don't know if any of you guys have heard about this in the legal profession. 1914 to 1997, he died in the last century. Is considered one of the greatest lawyers in British history. He's, rec- he's recorded in the Guinness Book of World Records as the world's most, su- the world's most successful advocate. Hey, apart from Jesus, right? With 245 consecutive murder acquittals. Consecutive! Wow! He was knighted by Queen Elizabeth II twice! Listen to what he said. Indian brother. 
I humbly add, I have spent more than 42 years as a defense lawyer, as a defense trial lawyer, appearing in many parts of the world, and I'm still in active practice. I have been fortunate to secure a number of successes, so humble, isn't it, in jury trials, and I say unequivocally, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof, which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. Now, if I said that, that would be one thing. Here's one more. Lee Strobel. Maybe I'll just read the quote because it's too... If I go too much into the fact that he's got a PhD and he went to Cambridge and Princeton and da-da-da-da-da. He says, remarkably, after compiling and, and critically examining the evidence for himself. Strobel became a Christian. Stunned by his findings... He organized the evidence into a book called, entitled The Case for Christ. Some of, you, some of you probably read that. Which won the Gold Medallion Book Award for Excellence. Strobel asked one thing of each reader. Remain unbiased in your examination of the evidence. In the end, judge the evidence for yourself, acting as the lone juror in the case for Christ. Because how I many of you know, the tables are going to get switched around, right? Where Jesus is on trial right now, everyone, yeah, whatever, whoever, da da da, blah blah blah, re te te. How many of you know the tables are going to get turned? And it won't be Jesus on trial. If you haven't already examined the evidence, in Philip's words, come and see. I mean, you're here, right? So hopefully you're hopefully seeing. Verse 47. Okay, let's go. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him. And said of him, Behold, this is Jesus, an Israelite, note, indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Remember I said he was, he was critical, but he was honest, right? The word deceit means guile. It's, it's the word that's used for the bait when you try to catch fish. It's, it's, it's having an ulterior motive. How many of you know a fisherman's got an ulterior motive? You dangle the thing in front of you saying, Hey, come and have something to eat. But he's got an ulterior Deceit. Behold an Israelite in whom there is no guile, there is no duplicitous motives. I would agree with many commentators. This is a, this is a hint of something from the past with regard to a person. Any idea who? Any idea someone in the old, remember the Bible's one big, any idea of anyone in the past who, who potentially had duplicitous motives? You know what I'm saying? He had, he was the brother of Esau. Ah, Jacob. Nathaniel is shocked at Jesus' ability to we'll come back to that. He's shocked at Jesus' ability to recognize who he is without ever meeting, like you never ever met me before. Verse 48. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? How you, how you know that I, I'm, 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 I ain't got no deceit? How, how you know that? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. Hey! I wonder what he was doing under the fig tree. <laughs> he said, I saw you. <laughs> and especially by his response. Um, but that's a red herring because I don't even think it was like that. Something was going on there, but it wasn't seditious. This is, this is very difficult to understand because we have limited information on this particular incident. But something supernatural is going on here. And it's crystal clear to Nathaniel... <laughs> But it's clear as mud to us. That is what exactly is going on. In rabbinic literature, under the fig tree, 
is sometimes a description of quiet contemplation. So there's a, there's a suggestion that maybe Nathaniel is under the tree, this fig tree, contemplating, meditating, possibly on the scriptures. And it's, and, um, it's suggested, it's conjecture, because we can't prove it, that he, but the text helps us, and I'm going to show you, it's suggested that he was meditating on what chapter? Genesis chapter 28. We'll see why in a moment. But what Jesus says causes an amazing and extreme response. It shows that whatever happened meant a lot to him with regards to what Jesus says next. Now, how do we know that it was clear to Nathaniel? Listen to verse 49. Nathaniel answered him when Jesus said, I saw you under the fig. Jesus, Nathaniel said, Rabbi! Now, this is much more respectful than what he said back in verse 46. Does anything good come out? Ah, Nazareth. He's like, who? He's like, Rabbi. Like, respected teacher. Hey. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Wow. We ain't got time. But briefly. Son of God. In Psalm 2, in Psalm 2, Son of God. Verse 2 says, The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his Christ, his anointed, saying, and then verse 6, we just jump to verse 6. As for me, this is... Um, Again, the Lord speaking. As for me, I've set my king, my anointed one, on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. This is the king. Today I have begotten you. There's so much in there that we ain't got time to unpack. And it will get unpacked as we go through John. Can you see that this is God's son? His only, his only begotten son who is a king. Um, we're in the process of just having some discussions with a brother who's at LCM with us, um, who's done like a three-part seminar on Jesus, the Son of God. Now, how many of you seen that term in the Bible and think, what does that really mean? Is, does it mean that he's, he's God's Son, or does it mean that he's the second member of the Trinity, that, like God the Son? And, you know what I'm saying? Is, so um, we're in the process of just talking to him about him possibly coming and sharing with us in, in a two-part seminar, not three whole sessions. Um, and, and, and if you're interested, maybe we can get some feedback on the vine. If you're interested, we'll have him come and do some sessions after the service, probably after Pastor E preaches John chapter 3, looking at Jesus, verse 16, the only begotten son. Forgot to love the word that gave his only begotten son. Possibly. Pr let's pr pray with us about that. And we can talk some more about it, see if people are interested. Whatever Jesus was referring to with regards to, <clears throat> he's the son of God, he's the king of Israel. Hopefully that's enough for you to feel like I, I haven't just s skipped over that. Whatever Jesus was referring to convinces Nathaniel to the point that he, he bellows this response out, right? Um, but he understands that Jesus is unique. Verse 50. Jesus then answers him and says, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Like, what? Like, if you think whatever happened happened, that you understand and I understand, if you think that's great, you're going to see greater things, and we will see greater things as we go through this book. 
But notice verse 47, <clears throat> Nathaniel is a what? He's an individual who doesn't have any guile, any deceit. But what else is special about him? He's an Israelite. Thank you, my sister. He's an Israelite. Who in the Old Testament, again, as I said, does that remind you of? Who, as we said earlier, had their name changed from Jacob to Israel? You see the connection there? Israelite. Without guile. How many of you know Jacob had guile? Their brother was so deceitful. He, he, his name means heel grabber. Like you're running and he's the guy that will trip you up in front of you. He'd done that to his brother when he was coming out the womb. And he had his name changed. Verse 51. I'm going to tie it all up hopefully and we finish. Verse 51. And he said to him, Jesus says, look, you think you've seen anything yet? Verse 51. And he said to him, truly, 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 I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I wanted to go to Daniel, but we ain't got time. In, in explaining what it means that is Jesus being the son of man, it's incredible. Read Daniel 7 and you get some real insight as to who Jesus is with regards to son of man. But what I will say, because it fits with the context, is this. Genesis 28 with regards to this Jacob business. Genesis 28 verse 10 says, Jacob left Beersheba. Remember what Jesus just said to, 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 to Nathaniel. He says, listen, if you think you've seen any, you're going to see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Like what on earth does that mean? Genesis 28 verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night <clears throat> because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to where? To heaven. Hmm. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Ladder. Slash staircase. Slash escalator. Just try to modernize it for us, that's all. And behold, oh my gosh. Notice it's touching earth and it's touching heaven. How many of you know a ladder is a is a um thoroughfare, if you like. I can't think of a better word. You understand what I mean. It it helps you to get from one place to another, right? The top is in heaven, the bottom's in earth. I'm I'm overdoing overstating it because you get it, right? Verse 13. And notice, oh ouch, the Lord stood where? Above it. Above the ladder, above the stairway, above the escalator, the Lord stood above it because he was up there. But what did he do in the incarnation? John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. God came down off the top of the ladder, down to earth. He stood above it, verse 13, that was then, and said, look, I, oh, I, ain't got, ah, I ain't got time. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, he says to, uh, to, 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 to Jacob, I will give to you, even though you're, you're off-key, brother. 
And, and to your offspring, your offspring, just we're no better, right? Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That's why we're here this afternoon. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised to you, you heel grabber, you then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Jesus says, You're going to see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus, the book of John is full of this symbolic metaphor. Jesus is saying, I'm the ladder. I'm the ladder. I'm the staircase. I'm the one through whom I'm the one that enables you to transition from earth to heaven. And it's beautiful that he didn't say and stand up and shout, shout instructions. He came down. To help us up the ladder, the st- I mean, help us. The escalator is beautiful. I don't take no effort. <laughs> wow. The escalator that connects heaven and earth. He is Jesus, the Lamb of God, the one who brings sinners into relationship with God. And Jesus is also the house of God. Maybe you, as we, you might have read over it as we were reading. He's the house of God. He's the temple. And we're going to see that when we get to chapter 2. Nathaniel finds Jesus. <sighs> Finding, found by, and following the escalator, the stairway, the way, Jesus. Upon hearing the testimony of John, Andrew, Philip and Nathaniel, will you be encouraged to follow them as they follow Jesus? Not just casually, but seriously. Jesus is the only one that can bring you like an escalator to God. Shall we pray? I'm going to ask the praise team to come join me. Father, thank you that Jesus is the way. He's the truth and he's the life. No man comes to you apart from, via him, apart from him. And we thank you. Father, would you convince us of that? Lord, for those of us who believe, Lord, will you reinforce that and refresh our understanding of just who Jesus is? And what he not only has accomplished, but will continue to do in our lives, not just as we found him a year ago, or five years ago, or ten years ago, or twenty-six years ago in my case, Lord. But will you help me, will you help us to keep following Jesus? Because he's the only way, he's the only one who can get us to God.
find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.